today on Ag News Daily. The dry stack system really is the result of um, me and the other co-founder, Eric Harberger, uh, trying to solve a problem in one of our senior um, engineering classes. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here in the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, what do you know on this Tuesday afternoon? Well, I know that it is pretty chilly down here in Lubbock. We had a snow day today, and I don't think that it even snowed an inch. <laughs> down here, it can barely do anything, and they're going to shut the whole city down. So it's really been a pretty relaxing day today, I guess. Very cold, though. I'm kind of a baby. Well, you are down there in Lubbock, so you guys aren't used to the cold weather. I always think it's hilarious when areas like that will shut down. You know, you guys had one inch of rain or one inch of snow and the whole city shuts down and people don't know how to drive. And it just cracks me up when I go out of the you know Midwest. We're used to getting a lot of inclement weather. Then I go somewhere else and it's like they shut down the whole city for a half an inch of snow because they don't know how to drive in it. But anyways... I won't make fun of you any longer, Ashton, I promise. Oh, no, we totally deserve it. I don't even think it was even a full inch or anything, but we're expected to continue to see some winter weather until tomorrow afternoon. So I I don't know that we'll be getting around to doing much this week. Well, you know who is getting around to doing a lot this week, Ashton? Who, Delaney? Farmers. Farmers are getting around. They're finishing up harvest. Uh, According to yesterday's crop progress report, 72% of U.S. corn has been harvested, surpassing the 38% harvested we saw in the same week last year and the five-year average of just 56% harvested for this time of year. So we're well ahead where we usually are for this time. And on the soybean side of things, 83% of soybeans have been harvested compared to 73% for our five-year average. On the cotton side of things, Ashton, this is for you. Some 42% of cotton was reported harvested along with with 74% of sorghum and 89% of sugar beets. So folks this year are chugging right along, ready to be done. Well, the EPA is also getting around Delaney. They are expected to release their decision about the dicamba re-registration. And I don't believe that they have fully come out with a statement yet, but EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler spoke with RFD-TV earlier this afternoon about the announcement, and he was quoted as saying, we are going to issue a five-year registration for Dicamba for the next five years. Two of the companies that produce Dicamba re-registered the product with us, and our scientists have been going over their registration materials. So they haven't given full details. As of yet, I don't believe that they've come out with anything as I've been trying to update as much as possible, trying to see if they do come out with any further details about the companies or the registration or the process or anything like that. But they are finally going to give us some answers today. Yes, I saw that as well. And I agree. I haven't been able to find anything as of about 4 p.m. Central Time this afternoon when we are finishing up the podcast for today. So it'll be a story we continue to update our listeners on tomorrow. But Ashton, I want to make sure I understand something correctly. Are you saying that there's only going to be a few companies as of what Wheeler was suggesting? There's only going to be a few companies that are allowed to carry dicamba traits? 
I believe so. He didn't say, I watched the video and he said that there was two companies that did re-register the Dic- their Dicamba products. And he didn't mention which companies they were going to be. Again, I think that's just going to be half going to have to be something that we talk about tomorrow, but it is a five-year registration for Dicamba. But again, it's just two of those companies, but uh, we will certainly hopefully be able to talk about that more in depth tomorrow. Cause I, I mean, it's 4 PM central time. And I believe that they're making this announcement in Georgia with Zippy Duval. So that's mm-hmm. at least what I've been hearing. Yeah, I think you're right there. So we'll we'll have a pretty concrete answer, it seems like, tomorrow, Ashton. But another thing we do have a concrete answer on is the first shipment of U.S. rice to head to China. ADM has sold and shipped 20 million metric tons of U.S. rice to China, according to the U.S. Rice Federation and government officials. And this is the first successful commercial sale to China, which cleared the ports of Jiamen on Tuesday. Uh, this is a very big step for U.S. trade because, like I said, this is the first commercial sale we've seen China allow through their ports ever, to my knowledge. Well, Delaney, that is good news for our rice producers here in the U.S., but I have some CFAP2 updates. As of October 25th, the USDA has approved more than $7.6 billion to go out to U.S. farmers, and payments to corn growers remain at the top of the list at nearly $2.2 billion, and that was then followed by cattle and soybeans. Sales commodities come in at fourth place for $793 million and milk at $790 million. And 43,126 applications have been approved for CPAP2. And we are on track to continue, I think, accepting those applications and getting money out to those producers. Yeah, I was reading something yesterday. Gosh, I'll have to see if I can find that story again. But it was talking about subsidies, not just in the United States, but worldwide this year because of COVID and trade disputes and other things. And this was a record level, not just in the United States, but also worldwide for governments stepping in and providing some sort of subsidy for their domestic farmers. So I'll have to see if I can find that statistic and pull it up again. It was an interesting article. Um, But, you know, one country that I can't say for sure, but I assume are sharing subsidies with their farmers is Brazil. We've seen now Brazilian farmers struggling this year with putting in their record-breaking or anticipated record-breaking crop. Uh, They've had quite a bit of dry weather, started to see some reprieve in that weather, starting to see some rains, allowing a little more planting to pick up. But this pace is still quite a bit slower than last year. Um, As of recent estimates from a report from Ag Rural, about 23% of the Brazilian soybean crop that will go on the market next year has been planted. Just a week ago, that was 8%. So we are seeing farmers starting to pick up the pace there. And that means that about 13.8 million acres have been planted by Brazilian farmers in just seven days. So that's a very fast uh, push compared to last week, looking at specifically Mato Grosso um, and a few other big soybean producing areas. But they're saying that it looks like Brazil is having kind of a change of events. They're starting to see a little more rain. They've had a lot of dry weather up until that point, and that was not ideal for planting. 
but it appears now that they are definitely on track to having a record soybean planting and harvest again this year. Well, Delaney, I only have one other news story that I wanted to share today, just because I thought this was certainly interesting and maybe something that we will continue to see a trend with. But California-based Pacific Ethanol says it is realigning its business and changing its name to reflect its new focus on specialty alcohols used in sanitizers and alcoholic beverages. The company says it will still produce some ethanol, but transportation fuels will no longer be its primary focus. Pacific's transition is already underway. It's now producing 50% ethanol and 50% specialty alcohols compared to an 85-15 production mix in 2019. And as part of the realignment, the company says it will sell or repurpose its three idled ethanol plants on the West Coast in addition to its Western U.S. facilities. And I thought this was super interesting, especially the hand sanitizers, because I, I've seen some companies start to use alcohol like tequila or vodka or, you know, something like that and, and start making hand sanitizers. And I think that this is kind of a trend that we might see happening more in the industry. I got to admit, though, Ashton, when I see those sanitizers that are using like the hard alcohol, like some of them smell like Everclear or tequila or vodka, it just turns me off from wanting to use them. I am going to agree with you there, Delaney. It's not the best smelling, but since we kind of saw shortages in sanitizers as the pandemic first began, I I definitely think it's interesting that folks can adapt to the circumstances that we're in. That's true. Way to put a positive spin on that, Ashton. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here to talk markets, Ashton. I'm all out of news. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, we saw the markets pull back again today on, I think, you know, increased uh, harvest here in the United States, as well as planting advances in South America. We also saw Russia and a few other key areas get some rain as well. And so that really just had an overall uh, negative effect on the markets for today. Kicking things off here with the December corn contract down a penny and three quarters at 416, the March down two to close at 416 and a half. In soybeans, November shedding five and a half cents to close at 1082 and a quarter. The January down seven to close at 1076 and a half. Chicago wheat pits today pulling back as well with the December contract shedding four and a quarter cent to close at 615 and three quarters. The March down four and a half to close at 615 and three quarters. Checking out the livestock markets green across the screen as the December live cattle contract added 65 cents today to close at 104.05. The February adding 62 and a half to close at 107.02 and a half. Feeder cattle also green today as the November contract added a dollar seventy-two and a half to close at one thirty-two thirty. The January up a dollar sixty to close at one twenty-eight forty-two and a half. In the lean hog pits, the December contract down ten to close at sixty-seven sixty-five. The February up forty cents to close at sixty-eight oh five. And rounding out the markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures, we saw November shedding sixty-one cents today to close at twenty-two fifteen. December down a dollar oh six to close at nineteen ninety-three. We're going to talk dairy real soon as they've been having some big market moves. But Ashton, for today's conversation, we're talking technology, more specifically with who. We are talking to Dylan Hurd, who is the CEO and co-founder of Haber Technologies. 
Well, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation, we are talking to Dylan Hurd, who is the co-founder and CEO of Haber Technologies. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So before we kick things off and really talk about the products and what and whatnot that Haber has, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your background and how Haber Technologies came to be? Absolutely. So I grew up uh, in the Midwest, actually a small town um, here in central Iowa, uh, Roland. And so grew up kind of on a non-working farm. My father was a veterinarian. Um, also a professor at Iowa State University. So grew up around egg, you know, always got stuck with the summer job of, you know, bucking hay or driving a tractor, whatever it might be. So when I went to school, um, naturally, I went to Iowa State. Uh, I, I studied agricultural and biological engineering. And that's kind of during my education there is when some of the original ideas and concepts um, were began to form um, for what is the technology that Haber Technologies uh, presents today. And so I uh, come from a large family, um, loved growing up in the Midwest. And uh, after my bachelor's in biological systems engineering, I actually went on to do my master's in chemical engineering and then, uh, you know, working to complete my PhD in chemical engineering now. So been in Iowa for a long time. Well, we have a lot of listeners out in Iowa and throughout the Midwest. So you're, you're representing well, but let's go ahead and talk about what Haber does and those technologies that you guys are using and specifically the dry stack system. Why don't you go ahead and explain what that system is and what it's doing? Sure. So the dry stack system really is the result of um, me and the other co-founder, Eric Harberger, uh, trying to solve a problem in one of our senior um, engineering classes. The problem was we needed to maintain enough sunflowers um, to, you know, do this sunflower pressing mill we were doing a life cycle analysis on um, without them going bad. Sunflowers have high oil content. They like to go bad really fast. So you need a lot of air to keep them from spoiling. Well, in a really big industrial size bin, it's very hard to get air to move through all of that grain. So obviously we've said, all right, let's figure out a different way to move the, move the air, right? So the principle was, let's cut this very tall column of grain into smaller sections, right? And so rather than pushing air through 30 or 60 feet of grain, let's send air through six to eight feet of grain at a time. So that was the problem. Uh, the solution really came in the form of utilizing pipes, ducks, we call them stacks, um, to send air to different locations within this immense grain column that is any uh, modern grain storage. So we do this by leveraging these stacks. And in these stacks, there are valve assemblies. Each one of these valve assemblies has the ability to either send air up the stack, right, to the next level, 
or to send the air out at that level. So gives you the ability, very much like a commercial HVAC system, to send air where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. Um, and it subdivides, it creates these virtual layers inside of the grain bin that allow your fan to work a lot more efficiently because it's not fighting against as much static pressure. So ultimately the king of uh, you know the drying rate is your airflow. And so if you can increase your airflow, you can increase your drying. And so the age old um, layer drying is kind of what we base the technology on. We've just made it work for a bin that's full and brought it to the 21st century. Well, Dylan, this certainly sounds complex and it might not be so, but it's it's definitely complex when it, I am trying to understand what you guys are talking about. But in terms of usage, is it a fairly easy system to use and how can farmers really incorporate this technology on their farms? Absolutely. So while the system has you know a substantial amount of technology and software in it, we've also designed it to be easy. Um, so the principle of it is you can take any bin, you install these stacks inside of the bin, um, and then there's a control system on the outside that does all the work for you. So the farmers, we've our farmers that we've wor been working with see this system fitting into their operations in a few different ways. Some of our farmers like to just install it in the bin, um, and they fill it up with a higher moisture content corn. You can put in 25% corn if you want, and they turn it on and they leave it. They go to Florida or whatever, and they come back and they empty it in June, right? I call those our fill and forget farmers. It's very easy to use. It's kind of a point and click system. And then for some of our other farmers, um, they like to use it as a batch dryer. So, I mean, it can be used very efficiently as a batch dryer. So they'll fill it up. They'll dry for you know a week or two weeks, and that bin is done. And they'll empty it and put another load in. This year, one of our farmers is actually on his fourth load, um, so he's already put three loads through his system since I think he started harvest mid September. So there's a few different options how it fits into the operation. Obviously, it depends a lot on what the farmer has for bins, and then you know how they're looking at updating or improving their operation. Gotcha. Well, that's very interesting that, you know, you're kind of able to use this system to best fit what you're doing on your operation. But one of the things that the dry stack system, what you guys are talking about on your on your website is uniformity. So why is the importance of reducing variability among grain? Why is that so important to the system or, you know, to farmers in general? So I'm sure if any of your listeners have done, you know, your normal ambient drying, um, you know, the bottom of the bin always gets really dry and the top is a pain. It, it just, it's really hard to get dry. So creating uniformity in the drying in the bin is something that we're able to do by sending air out in different levels. And ultimately what this does is it prevents you from over drying the bottom of the bin so much that you're losing money on those bushels because they're too dry and not being able to dry that very top layer, which can turn into a crust and spoil. So you're paying dockage on that. And so traditionally farmers are losing money on both sides of that equation. 
But if you can make the drying more uniform, you get dry corn on the top, you get dry corn on the bottom. It's not over dried and it's not going bad. So Dylan, is corn the only thing that you guys are working with? The system has primarily been used for corn the last couple of years. Um, it can just be easily be used for soybeans um, and also for other small grains. And so uh, we can change the uh, screens that we put that protect the valves to work with small grains like oats, wheat, rye. Um, so you can use it with different grain types if you choose. Um, obviously, here in Iowa, corn's king. And so uh, a lot of our farmers are, are using it for corn. Gotcha. What kind of profit are you guys seeing from farmers that are actually using this system? Absolutely. So for farmers, when they think about grain drying, they usually think a lot about the hard costs, right? So your hard costs are your energy usage and, you know, maybe bringing in your dockage and some of those things. There's also some other soft costs, you know, being able to surge at harvest, having more flexibility. But if you focus on those hard costs, our, uh, our numbers show that, you know, if you compare this system that is drying 10 points, so coming down from 25% moisture content, if you're drying 10 points, um, you're saving compared to your high temp dryer between 15 to 20 cents per bushel. And so that's just the energy savings. And the reason why there's so much energy savings is because, first of all, you're not using LP, right? If you have a low temp burner, you can use that with the dry stack system, but it's not required. So you're saving a whole bunch on LP. And then also you're saving on electric because your fans are not going to be running for as long because the system is drying the entire bin in one to two weeks. Well, Dylan, for our listeners who want to keep up with you guys, where can they find you online? Absolutely. So you can find us at uh, drycorn.com. That's our, our main website. And from there, there's a form you can fill out if you want more information. Um, someone from here at the Haber team will reach out to you then. Um, we have a Facebook presence as well. If you want to see some more pictures and other uh, you know, bits and pieces of what we're doing on the day to day over here at Haber. Awesome. Well, again, Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, again, a big thank you to Dylan for coming on the podcast today and talking about the dry stack system. It's definitely interesting when talking about grain drying and, you know, something that can be very useful to farmers as they are wrapping up harvest and We'll soon begin the drying process. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, we have to deal with that every year, it seems like, during harvest. But there are some cool pieces of technology out there making it a little easier, hopefully, for folks. Absolutely. And if you want to check out the Haber Technologies website, you can do so at drycorn.com. And while you're on the internet, you can look at our website at agnewsdaily.com to hear more podcast episodes. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.